Before we get into this episode, I'd just like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land of which we're recording on. I'd like to acknowledge the elders past, present and emerging, especially those who are in the creative fields as we get to see them create amazing artworks that tell the story of their people through a visual setting. Hey, it's Reese and Caleb here on another episode of Country Creatives, and this week we've got a really cool guest who is way outside of my field of knowledge. Um, Caleb, can you tell us a little bit more about today's guest? Uh, to be honest, he's a long way outside of mine as well, but today we're speaking to Ben Watts. He's a motion designer. Um, you could call him by many names. Uh, if you probably are in this sort of field, you may have a more accurate name for what he does. But uh, Ben is a Swan Hill local, born and bred, and he's an excellent example of how to uh, live and thrive as a country creative. So we'll uh, leave it to, to Ben in, in our interview to come to fully explain what he does and, and how he's got there. Welcome back. We have Ben Watts in the virtual studio here. Ben, thank you so much for jumping on board with the the podcast as our next guest. I can't wait to dive into what uh, what it is you do, uh, hear about your creative journey because it's really quite unique. I'm really intrigued uh, about your creative practice. It's really niche. So, how how would you describe what you do to someone who you potentially uh, would think that might not understand what, what it is you do? So basically what you've described is 90% of my family because they are terrible. Getting a grasp on what it is I do, I've, I've got like grandmas and stuff recommending me to people that want to build websites and <laughs> all sorts of things. And I'm like, yeah, that's not quite what I do. So the, the best way to sum it up, I suppose, you would use words like 3D animation, visual effects, and then I usually have to follow that up with stupid things like, you know, when you're watching a Avengers movie and like there's an explosion and a building blows up, there's like destruction or, or something like, which was funny because like even though they were things that I had to do quite a bit of coming up to the type of work that I do today, they're not the the things that I really do much anymore, but it's just like it connects. They know what you're saying when you say things like that because, you know, it's in every film almost or every action film or superhero film, which is so prevalent these days. So I just try and like strip it back to things like that that they might twig to, you know. When I get into like the specifics of what I do now, it's, it's a little harder to explain because it could be anything from like a, a shoe transforming into an umbrella or, you know, a phone turning into some other weird abstract thing or, or anything like it, it, there's, there's quite a, a scope of things that we do in our projects these, these days. So that can get a bit hairy, but otherwise it's, yeah, keeping it simple. Yeah. And that's it. That's awesome. Ben, I've just been having a look through your portfolio and it actually blew me away. Some of the motion effects that you create, and I'm really keen to get into a bit more of the nitty gritty on that, but how did you get into the field and um, where did you grow up? Like, are you from the country originally or, you know, can you give us a bit of context around uh, where you're at now? Yeah, so I grew up in um, Swan Hill, Victoria and uh, 
it's obviously where I am now as well and all the families here and everything like that. So it makes the most sense to, you know, be around those guys while they're all still here. Um, and, you know, it's a, a decent town to, you know, raise kids in and relatively quiet and everything as well. So that's where we've, we've stayed. I, I started out really randomly actually in, I think it was 2006, I started out with this sort of love for filming things, um, which I'd always had, like being into films and that, but I decided to get a camera and thought that I could just start a business trying to like make TV commercials and all that sort of stuff, but I had no experience. All I had was like this sort of dream, I suppose. And um, yeah, I just started to shoot stuff. I began to learn After Effects, Adobe After Effects, and I could sort of piece together like that you could get the footage and, you know, play around and, you know, I'd scour the internet for tutorials or any bits of information at that time that there was, which wasn't a lot. And just like tons and tons of hours just playing and um, yeah, that's how it all began and I started doing local TV commercials once people got wind of like what I could do. At the very beginning, I even did weddings, embarrassingly enough, which didn't last long. I hated that. <laughs> and yeah, it sort of started like that and then it developed into I don't really love shooting now as, as what I can do on the, the, the computer itself in, in terms of like the effects and motion design and all that. So it took off from there and started to develop into something else. Yeah, so how long did it take for you to like um, go through that discovery phase and just like playing around and are you just completely self-taught or, you know, when did you start to niche into the motion effects? I am completely self-taught. I started to play around in 3D um, probably around 2008 or a couple years really after I'd started the filming and just the basic 2D motion design. I mean, yeah, it felt like at least a couple of years before I got into that and tried to implement some of that into the TV, the local TV commercials and, and things that I was doing. And um, from that point on, yeah, it was mainly just a lot more digging into the 3D and uh, I put away the camera at that point. So from there, I tried a few different 3D softwares and um, eventually ended up in the one that I use now, which is called Houdini. But that was, you know, we're talking a big span here. Like that's more like the end of 2014 I got into that. And I've been a Houdini effects artist and technical director since that late 2014 time period. That's that's absolutely amazing. Like uh, I I am in the space that you started in, right? So I'm, I'm the videographer running the, the video company. And just for me to think of what it would be like to to jump from uh, the skills and activity we've got now to what you're doing is that's a big jump. As in, like it, it, it and to be self-taught as well. That's that's pretty impressive. How did you sustain your creative practice, and how did you live through that that learning curve and and uh, and getting to the the skill level you're at now so yeah that's a good question because um there were some tough times we had no kids at the time me and my wife prior to just taking a chance and getting out with the camera and and going hey i'm going to start a business even though i don't know what i'm doing i worked in retail for many years you know just like at harvey norman and the, just the usual grind and uh amy's a, a financial planner by trade and, uh, you know, she just kept, kept working. I was trying to make ends meet doing this thing. I just had so much passion for it. You know, she supported me and I made no money for so long. Well, very little money. 
it, it really it felt like there for a lot of years there just, there just wasn't like a, a good financial gain at all you know so I sort of just I, I guess I just weathered the storm but I mean it wasn't it wasn't easy and when I got into Houdini that's when my life changed like I can definitively say that was the turning point and everything just exploded because I was sort of couple years into 3d before it but there's all these other guys out there doing awesome work already and i'm using software that's very popular it's called you know cinema 4d or 3ds max there was a couple of things i was dabbling with at the time but when i got into houdini something just clicked it's much more technical knowing how to code and things like that is um, preferable none of which i knew how to do but i jumped online i did uh, a really basic fundamental coding course learned some basics there and i was just like going nuts like 3am every every night just for so long just just i was so passionate about this software just it like i said it was really clicking and i was just trying to do everything i could to like get there as quick as i could it was like um if you imagine like a university student just trying to like cram before an exam or something like i was i just i felt so energized and and into it i look back now and i go that i I don't know how i had that energy or that drive it was i'd love to have that in other areas of life i was like a man possessed i suppose (laughs) and it paid off thank god there's a lot of sacrifice though yeah i love that story (laughs) yeah that's um that is what is required isn't it i mean i haven't had as big a learning curve um but even you know in and i'm sure resell uh testify to this that there is a period of time where you are driven by the passion not the not the success because that's just what's required you just need to get in and and get it done until it starts working (laughs) it's true um hey just to take a quick little step back ben um just so because not everyone we're talking to is necessarily a videographer or a motion designer we're kind of just all random creatives looking for tips on um you know, how to succeed in our all unique fields. But just to give some context, what is the difference between, say, what you're doing now with Houdini and, say, Cinema 4D, like you just mentioned? Like what kind of – is there a way you could explain that, what the difference is? Yeah, so with um, with Cinema 4D, it's, um, you know, a very user-friendly sort of interface. You go in and you create all your 3D objects and work with assets and stuff like that. And, and just build out scenes and animation and everything like that. And in Houdini, like, it, it's similar in the way that it's, you know, got um, all the tools available like a Cinema 4D and all that. But the thing about Houdini is the way you work, you generally build systems and setups that are, are what's called procedural. So if you make a change to something and it's like, for example, say a, uh, it's a jellyfish or a flower, there's a lot that goes into making something like that from scratch and i make a change like way up the chain to like say the petal count or something on a flower it all just trickles down and all just adapts and changes in real time it's not like locked in and baked in like other 3d programs where you've made a change now it's like everything's broken now because i i I sort of messed with this thing that was sort of set in stone it's just a really really unbelievable tool that allows you to create whatever you want like because it's just it's unbound in in 
so many ways. It's not like a black box sort of like has constraints on what you can see and what you can do. It's open. It's just amazing. And it's the industry standard in terms of, um, you know, high end effects. You know, it's not to say that you can't create amazing stuff in other programs, but yeah, Houdini is, is where it's at. Yeah. You've really, um, explain the yeah the difference really well there i think it's a good opportunity good time to review and hear a couple of stories of what you've actually been able to create what has been uh, uh one of your favorite projects and and what did that look like and who was it for so just recently actually um it was it was the end of last year we had the opportunity we were approached by showtime to do all the opening sequences for the final season of Dexter, Dexter New Blood, season nine. Yeah, that aired end of last year and went across into January and it was super successful season. It's Showtime's most popular show ever. We're doing the intro sequences, like I said, for every episode and the logo filled more and more with blood each episode and become more damaged because it's like Dexter written in ice with like, you know, a bit of snowy debris and everything flying around because the whole season is set in the, in the snow. That was epic. And then um, it had like uh, all this footage cut in, little pieces of the... Um, the upcoming episodes were like uh, put into this nice little edit with sound design and everything like that, a few Easter eggs in there. And, um, you know, we did the end titles for every episode as well. So it was a really, overall, it was a big job, like went across many months and a high profile one as well. Like we've done a lot of high profile work, but um, this was a big one. So that was super enjoyable. Um, you know, it was really surreal being on calls with um, Michael C. Hall, who plays Dexter, the, uh, you know, the actual director and the showrunners and everything like that, which is something you don't normally get to do. Like there's many layers between yourself and the client uh, in on those big ones. So it was, it was really cool. Yeah, that's crazy. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of questions coming to mind, but a lot of what we talk about is how you, you know, live and work and build a creative endeavor. How have you positioned yourself now to enable that connection directly to Showtime and, and uh, big clients like that. What does that interaction look like and, and how do they, you know, find you and, you know, why are they finding you? Yep. So I'd say the simplest thing is, and this is how it all begins, is you put work out there and if your work's good, people like it and they share it and they talk. I mean, that's that's how all this started. I did free tutorials for people, had them online when I was beginning to like try and share some of my experiences and adventures with like little bits of um, work that I felt was, you know, easy enough to sort of break down and for people to digest and I'd upload it. And that got a lot of traction and people seemed to, to like it. And then I was just posting just work for the hell of it, the actual renders and the videos for people to just watch on social media across different platforms and it just gained traction. So from there you get inquiries, you do jobs, you build rapport, you treat people good, you do what you say you're going to do, simple things, even though a lot of people struggle to do, do them. I don't know why, it's not that hard. And then you just, it's like a snowball effect, right? You just you just keep it going and then you get to the point where you're inundated with, um, with work and you just have people sort of spreading the word around and all of a sudden now you've built all these connections and networks and they just keep coming back if you do the right thing. There's a big key in there that I've, you touched on briefly and it's about the uh, 
not so much the talent and the output, which um, if you just focus on that, you, you're performing at the, you know, that one of the highest levels that you can, but the, in the up and coming space and when you're producing work, you, you said about being reliable, doing what you say you're going to do. And uh, that is actually, as you mentioned, that is actually a pretty unique characteristic. And how, how valuable do you think that is in uh, building that rapport and, and getting to the level you're at now as opposed to just your creative skill? It's absolutely critical. Like with the network that I have now, having colleagues in nearly every major studio in the world, ILM and Disney and Pixar and all these places that sound really flashy and all that sort of stuff because, you know, they're the household names. I've got so many connections in these places now and, and know like the inner workings of how or what it is like to work in um, in these massive facilities with so many people around you and stuff like that, that, you know, you hear a lot of stuff and when when you're sort of in constant communication with people like this, your colleagues, everyone talks and you just start to realise that it's super common for people to lock into a job and like bail or or, or pretend they they can do this because they work at XYZ, but when it comes down to it, they really can't deliver and all this sort of stuff. So you sort of like you join the dots and you just realize that, you know, you've just you've just got to be authentic and and actually like back yourself and just know that if you're gonna commit to something like one of these jobs, you absolutely have to be in there and and do it to the highest standard and just give it everything or else it's just it's your whole reputation on the line otherwise so yeah i made it like a real sticking point from the get-go to like i said treat people well and um just give it the best i can and it seems to work we've worked out so far yeah hey ben i that makes me um wonder and when i was looking at your work online like I should mention a couple of the clients on, you should go check out Ben's website if you haven't already, but there's Mercedes-Benz, Nike, DC, you know, Pixar. There's so many like huge names. And I think you mentioned a few before, Ben, it just blows me away. But I was like, oh my God, a guy from Mildura um, working in these like international teams how does that? How does that actually work? Yeah, and wh- and where do you slot into a big production house as a as with your skills? All right, so there's been a big change in the way that I work over the last year. So typically, what I what I've done is um, been a solo freelancer that is kind of like a gun for hire, where I would just get jobs come in from any given studio. They would lay out the task. We'd have X amount of time and you jump in and you do the work and then you'd move on and you'd go to the next studio and it would be just booked back to back to back like that for years and has been for years. I wouldn't get a break. It's just, you know, unless I allocated time uh, ahead, um, you know, I could take time off then. And that was fine for a long time. Um, you can make a really good living and, and have some great experiences, work on some great projects like that. But a while back now I got approached by a guy on LinkedIn, his name is Justin, and uh, we worked together in a couple of jobs. We had a really good connection, had similar interests, all that sort of stuff. And he had, he has his own studio, like small studio. He talked to me about joining up because he's a producer and he's out in San Diego. A lot sort of went on in between time, but basically we ended up partnering in his business called Rocket Lab Creative. It's obviously a US-based company, so it's better suited to our situation to have it like that. And um, we're gonna we're in the midst of a rebrand and a launch of his of uh, of his company because he's got a bit of an old logo and 
you know, all that sort of stuff. And we've done some combined work that we haven't really like put out there a whole lot that we're going to, you know, launch with and do a new reel and um, maybe a, a short brand film and that to really put it out there to people that this is who we are now and this is what we do. It's it's now a much different process on, on how work comes in and how it's initiated. Now there's like a bid process, a uh, bidding process, sorry, that, um, you know, Justin, his producer, role takes care of. I don't do so much client-facing anymore. I've just got a few guys that I work with under me and I run that team. I still put hands on all the work, do QC on all the work, make sure it's it's perfect before it goes out, all the usual stuff. But essentially now we've scaled up and now we're just we're getting bigger and bigger and um, becoming more of a self-sufficient remote studio that's growing and we're working directly more so with agencies rather than like a freelancer working with a studio. And so to answer the, the question about slotting in and all that stuff, it used to be that I'd just slot in, you know, to whatever part of the pipeline I had to and just do the effects work and do some lighting and rendering sometimes. But now we do everything from like that to like take on the whole project and, you know, do storyboards, create like art direction, um, shoot, everything like you know, we just did a, a job for Audible and we did a trailer for one of their new audio books coming out and, you know, there's another one where we did the entire project and it, it's fun, you know, having that whole piece of the pie to sort of like shape and mould and make it into, you know, this really epic piece. It, it was great. That's mad. I um, I love that story and I love the uniqueness of uh, how you've made it work from from where you are because that's one thing that we're combating with this podcast is that you don't need to be in uh, just positioned in a, a metro or a, a big city to do well. You've chosen where you want to live, where you like living, and then just made it work. Like what, what were there any challenges um, growing up or in your early days of – you know, people saying, "Did you hear that story about like, oh, you're not going to make it here as a as a uh, what? What did your grandma say? A uh, website designer? <laughs> um, if, did you ever feel that uh, resistance from the people around you or community? Well, I did not because I had no idea what I was doing at that point. You know, particularly in the early stages, I I, I didn't have anything like that because it was just so far beyond what anyone was doing in that area so yeah they they just sort of like sat there and nodded their heads when i told them this is what i'm doing and that was about all you know no one ever gave me anything like that working for studios for so long now all remote before covid hit and that like i've gone and done a few talks uh industry talks and that one i did at siggraph which which is a massive festival um, for industry in Vancouver, I, I did a, a talk there about jobs and career and whatnot. And uh, there's some really high-profile guys involved in a, in a panel that we did another side talk in that same event. And, and like a couple of them afterwards had said to me, like, I want to do what you do. Like, you know, these are guys very high up in the big studios and like, like what you're doing is incredible. Like being able to work from home and be near your family and all that sort of stuff. How do you do that? And I said, oh, I said, I don't know, you just, <laughs> I didn't know what to say because it's, you just, you know, you go on a bit of a path and you just do it. Like any one of those people could do it, but then we were forced to do it with COVID, which is ironic because these people that were saying this to me inevitably 
were made do it, you know, through no fault of their own. And then, yeah, chatting with them afterwards and that, they're like, this is crazy. We, we get now, you know, how much can be achieved in this setting and like essentially telling me like you're ahead of your time <laughs> for our industry, you know, doing this type of work that isn't normally or not supposed to be done remotely. So it was cool. It was really nice to, to hear things like that. But yeah, it, it's a different world. Not Working from home is not for everybody, but um, it, it suits me just fine. Like I love it. I like that. Us country creatives out here punching well above our weight class. You're a prime example of that, Ben. That's awesome. So we're just going to take a little break to talk about something really cool. Reese. it is called Conflux Bendigo. Yes, I've heard about this and I am actually involved myself in a uh, <laughs> oh, really? yeah, fun little activation. But we've got Amy Chapman here with us now who happens to be our producer and the programmer for Conflux Bendigo. I am indeed. Hello. So, Amy, we are so excited to have you here to really dig into the brain of the programmer. What is what is Conflux Bendigo? Can you give us a little little summary of what this event is? Yeah, well, the Conflux is a coming together of dynamic forces, ideas, or people, and that is exactly what Conflux Bendigo is for creative professionals. We're bringing together the most innovative, risk-taking, audacious, creative minds from from across creative industries. It doesn't matter what how you work creatively. We want you to come and hear from people speaking about the work that they're doing. The the big ideas they have for the industries they work in or creating at large and then you know get together outside of the sessions have a drink walk through installations and talk to others and we want people to walk away feeling really revved up for action to just take these things and implement them into their own process and projects love it uh i'm expecting keynote presentations i'm expecting networking opportunities and events have I missed anything? There are all those things. There mm. are incredible keynotes and talks and masterclasses and workshops and things like that. Yeah, there's immersive installations. There is live podcast recording, I hear. I from- wonder who's doing that, Reese. <laughs> hey, look out. <laughs> there is also DJs. There's performances, and I think that's the big difference, not just the talking to. There's the action. There's people showing you how the, this innovation is implemented in into their performance. So we've got VR, we've got musicians, we've got theatre, we've got poets, you name it. There's a lot happening. We just want people to find their inspiration in various ways. Over these two nine to five action-packed days, we want you to hear the thing that actually lands with you and just goes, yes, that's the missing piece that I've needed and you've got it. Wow. And Amy, when do people get involved in this? What kind of dates do they need to lock into their calendar? You need to lock down the 9th and 10th of September. That's a Friday and Saturday. And it's all on our website on the Emporium, creativehub.com.au. Excellent. And we are going to be, um, in case the inference was missed earlier, Reese and I are going to be doing some live podcasting there. We're going to be talking to whoever wants to talk to us, as well as some of the amazing contributors. In the lead up, we're going to be chatting to uh, some of the contributors uh, on some of these podcasts on the way there. So listen out for those and make sure you get your tickets, lock the dates in. We'll see you there. 
You're tuned in to the Country Creatives Podcast with Caleb Maxwell and Reese Hendy. Let's return now to the amazing conversation with creative Ben Watts. Had there been any big challenges though? So living regionally and going down that path and you're just like, well, it just happens. But, you know, have you been tempted by, have people said you've got to go move, you know, to a different area to have more success or have there been like you just said as well, it's not for everyone to work from home. So what are those challenges and how have you overcome those to sustain that? I've had a couple of nice offers actually. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Monstrous Studio out of New Zealand, which is Lord of the Rings, all that stuff, called Weta, Peter Jackson's massive facility. I've been approached a couple of times and other ones around to like go work at those places. But when it comes down to it, like, it's all well and good to do this for the love and the passion, but money does come into it and there's no chance in hell you're going to earn the same money working for somewhere like that as what you can on your own. It's just not going to happen. I just look at the types of stuff I get to work on, the variety and the control we get to have with projects and it's just second to none. Like I wouldn't swap it for anything. But in terms of, you know, working from home and things like that, I used to not work in the house. So I used to have a setup out in my shed, which was lined and heated and cooled and all that. And then we renovated the house, made it much bigger. And so now I'm back in here and the kids are getting older and they can get pretty rowdy sometimes. So I'm thinking about doing a new one <laughs> down the back again, but from scratch with a server room to put all the hot computer power in there and not be next to that. That'd be nice, you know, get some peace and quiet. It's a bit of a catch-22 because it is nice to be around people, you know, just have them around most of the time, but then there's just times where you just want some silence and you want to focus. So, I mean, they're the only challenges, I reckon, with with working from home for me. I don't, like, run to the pantry every three seconds and want to eat chips or anything like I've heard other people say, oh, I can't control myself, you know, being at home. But I'm pretty focused. Love it. So what's what's the future look like for you? And and I, one thing I'm really interested in is your your own creative network. Like you, that spans the entire globe. Like what we we talked off air before we started this about some really interesting uh, crossovers that you're seeing. You know, your friends doing in the art space and like what is that? What does that creative network look like around you? And and yeah, what's what's coming up? So hopefully there's some amazing stuff coming up. Like I said, with the shift to a partnership and having a producer on hand now and a small core team of excellent artists that I can sort of rely upon for bigger jobs, we're just going to see a massive influx of new projects. There's already tons anyway, but like just different work coming in. And who knows, like it's always so interesting what's coming through the door. Like it's car commercials, it's phones, it's shoes. It's like every product imaginable, makeup, products, Estee Lauder, like just every household sort of name and brand you could think of, which is is really such a a fantastic thing to, to have is to be able to sort of pick and choose which way you want to go. So I'm looking forward to those those bigger opportunities where we can just get these entire projects and shape and and build them as a team. So that'll be amazing. And then, yeah, I think in terms of like the space itself and, and my network, like you said, it, it does, it's it's global. It's always been like that. There's, uh, there's a lot of producers that I'm in touch with, a lot of artists, you know, um, just really just a, a lot of guys that are doing everything from the art itself all the way up to the the people that own the companies. It, it's just so varied. Uh, it's very far reaching. So it's good to, to be in touch with all these people and then, yeah, I, 
I think with where it's heading, you know, you've got your real-time game engines such as Unreal and Unity, seeing a massive push for all that tech into films and <clears throat> episodic work, TV series, and um, taking the stress off, like having to render all these image with, images on machines with intense times um you know to get them out the door we're seeing a lot more of the environments and and parts being like filtered through these real-time game engines so you know you don't need to be on set in a in a canyon anymore you can just be in a virtual one so there's there's that's like really picked up the pace seriously so that's that's gonna you're gonna see a lot more of that sort of stuff yeah i know that um melbourne's putting in or have put in a uh, a really massive um led fancy um studios that the mando was filmed in it, it'll be fascinating i reckon a lot of people uh will have no idea that you know for example mandalorian if you didn't if you didn't know uh that it was filmed in a in on a led screen as the environment pretty much for every single shot you you would be blown away wouldn't you like and that would just be but punching up the demand for your your services and your the effects world yeah it's awesome you know like even say in houdini even if you weren't like uh building stuff in that software to deliver the final output in the traditional sense where you just render the the images out just the tool building capabilities in Houdini which can be handed off and, and, and packaged up into little assets to be used in Unreal and Unity and these game engines. I mean, there's a, there's a whole other market for what you can do in Houdini with that alone. Like it's it's just endless. Like this, this industry is just absolutely on fire with prospects. My mind is being blown right now because I had no idea that The Mandalorian was shot completely in this like digital world. I'm like, what the hell? I'm, I'm getting blown away. That's so cool. And but Ben, how do you stay on top of like these trends and these new, because I'm sure with each new iteration of how things are done, there's a whole lot of new information to learn to be able to work in that space or does it kind of just flow into that? You kind of just make it part of your daily thing to suss out what's happening um, every day. Like, and then it doesn't become such a massive chore like, oh, I've been away for two months from looking at, you know, the industry. Now look at all this stuff that's here. Look what I've got to do to sort of catch up. You just make it, you know, you just peruse the, the web and, and check out Twitter and, you know, all that sort of stuff to just see what people are doing. Keep an eye on what what's what's the work that's being done, and and make it your business to keep updated with the tech that's being implemented in the industry. Like it's just it's really just part of it. Yeah, trying to stay up with those young whippersnappers coming through who are like got this all new. Like it's just their native language. All this new technology, kind of like maybe where we were. 10 to 15 years ago and it was just second nature to be at the forefront now it's like oh you got to work hard to keep up with it now you know we we hire you know young guys and all that too and uh unfortunately they're on the money with knowing what's going on but sometimes the work ethic scares me a bit i just don't know uh how that how that filters down through the generations like sure there's always going to be hard workers but man there's a lot that aren't so that's that's an interesting point hey because um the the stage is really set for opportunity for uh a you know the a dedicated 
uh, young professional who's wanting to start start out to get into the industry, who's hungry, who's got a bit of talent, and is willing to actually do the work, and and uh, and has a good work ethic. I I totally agree. I've I've hired a, a couple of people, and and you know one of the um, most recent editing jobs I hired for was an editing position. I got 400 applications for from around the world and I found two that were really good. Um, it, like what is what is your process for that and like what would you say about that that opportunity that that exists now? Well, the opportunities are insane. There's, that goes without saying. It's just so crazy. like it's just endless the the opportunities if you've got the drive and a little bit of experience you could do whatever you want to do when we have to hire people it's hard because i have a real issue trusting people because when you think back to like how i describe the 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 connections and the network so i see a lot of this where like this is i'm talking about potential hirees i've worked on all the marvel films this is just an example da 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 i've done this this and that and i can show the the parts i worked on and you get these guys and then you get them in to do something on their own and they're terrible like they don't know how to do anything and it's it's just like because they've been like sheltered in this, well they're in this big facility with 400 people with 8,000 supervisors and people around to help them and tools yeah there's just there's just a lot of um basically just a lot of bullshitters and you just gotta you, you really just gotta ask the right questions to to figure out do they really know what they say they do and and do they have the right skills to sort of work on this project i guess is what you what the goal of it is because you can't really take it for granted based on you know their cv or or their real or anything like that I, when you've done it enough you can you can sort of get the gist of who's real and who isn't but it's you know that's just how it is yeah that's fascinating from from your perspective what would you suggest say someone's listening to this and they're like yeah look there's a this is a booming industry there's a lot of future in it and i want to dive in um and i've you know i've got a little bit of experience or i've played around in a couple of these programs what would your suggested pathway be because the the industry is moving so fast that you know education is is not really like traditional education isn't really catching up and you being a self-taught man like what would you suggest a a really good pathway would be for someone just starting out it's a good question because i've just recently put someone on this path so sort of got a family friend a, a kid who's just just about to come out of high school and um, he's been filming and doing a bit of filmmaking and all that. And the courses at school just don't cover anything in regards to this. Um, and I've even had uh, conversations with careers teachers and things like that, educating them on what opportunities around that. They were, their minds were blown because they had no idea either. And I'm like, guys, you need to start filtering some of this somehow, like start some conversations about getting some of this into the schools if you can because and you know just just putting uh seeds in there to because these kids could be doing so much good work and getting their hands on these opportunities but anyway back to what i was saying um as a kid i've visited him a couple times and put him on to some free material to start the training process i mean everything you need to know is free and out there on the internet these days it's just directing them to the right resources and you know a couple months down the line he's in there and he's 
is using Houdini and enjoying it. Really what it just becomes from that point on, because it really, it's not that, the, the pathway doesn't have to be that complicated. If you get in there and you like it, that's a massive roadblock out of the way. He would just continue on if, if it goes, you know, the way that you'd hope. Get him more familiar with it, posting up a bit of work that he's doing and um, getting eyes on it. And then once the work starts to become good enough, you just start to get job inquiries. Or in his case, because he knows me, I could just hire him, you know, if I need another set of hands. So he's very lucky in that respect because no one gets that. This young guy that I'm talking about, like I... I could help him do whatever he wants if if he he shows me that he's he's into it. You know what I mean. And likewise, my eldest son. You know, we've had conversations about uh, learning Unreal Engine and all this sort of stuff. And it's just hard with a you know twelve year old distracted mind. You know, with friends in school. And I get it. It's just that's life. You know, they want to have fun and just do what they want to do. But you know, I've sort of just laid it out for him. Like you could have this if you do this. You know, Unreal Engine is a bit different to Houdini. It's it's much more UI friendly and um, intuitive. I suppose you could say it's, it makes a lot more sense off the bat. Um, it's world building and you know, environments and throw characters in and you can run around and simulate it like it's a game and just stuff kids would like to do anyway. You know, because you know Fortnite's built off that engine, so every kid has played or, or plays Fortnite, no doubt. So anyway, so I've sort of said to him as well, I said, look, mate, if uh, you want to earn some some good money and um, have a career straight out the gate, it's right there, you know. But because he's my son, he'll probably just go, no, I want to play football. Or, <laughs> and that's fine. The point is, I guess, like you can't ram this stuff down people's throats. You can sort of like put stuff out there and if they want to take it or they want to, Go, go down that path well you know you'll support them and and help them because like I said back to my journey you know I was super passionate about this had I not had that I wouldn't have gotten anywhere so I know what it takes to get through the hard initial part you've got to have a bit of fire also um like early on in your creative journey you know you, you might just know that you're a creative person but you're not exactly sure what your output as a creative person is so it's just about like dabbling in all of the fields and you know one particular field might not be for use especially with your son as if they're going to listen to their dad about do this job like oh right i'll do the opposite just to just to uh <laughs> get under your skin i was going to ask though in terms of working with other people and the kind of skills that you look for in a person, obviously some technical skills on the job at hand and can they work in program XYZ that you're asking them to work in. But what are some of the skills that people can bring to the table with that they don't necessarily have to be skilled in a particular program? What are the skills you're looking for in terms of them being able to collaborate? I think um, the personality type and all that's uh, always a big thing. There's, there's something to be said about the connection you have with people that is hard to quantify or put into words, you know, when you just meet someone and you, you start to chat and converse, you know how you just have that natural draw to, to some people. You know, there is an element of that. But, you know, I think for me it's it, the, the, to go back to the work ethic thing, that's a big thing for me. Um, and like being onto stuff, commu good communication. I've got to have good communication because I just can't, I'm impatient inherently. So I can't have people that take ages getting back to me and all that sort of stuff. And I think if, if there's like that, that real sort of care for the, the work that you're creating and, and the treating it more so like it's your own rather than just some, some hired spot that you're going to be out of in two weeks. I, I just look for that, like, um, the pride in the work and communication. 
I think they're, they're big ones. Um, the skills, obviously, there's a fundamental amount of skills that need to be there just by nature of what the work is we do. But, yeah, I think um, when you come across the people that really seem to care, that's 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 a rare quality. And um, I try and latch onto that if I can find it. Yeah. Yeah, it is a rare quality and something that, um, yeah, as a as an employer like a, and a team builder, that's, yeah, that is gold. That's absolute gold. If you can find people who are highly skilled but at, but even want to go above and beyond and are personally driven uh, and they're, they're reliable, that's, you know, that will win out over someone who's equally skilled or even maybe a bit more skilled and just really unreliable. Absolutely, yeah. Work with plenty of guys that are insanely talented, but their communications is garbage and ultimately, you know, it's a team effort. It's just lets everything fall in a heap if um, some, just one link in the chain's weak with, with simple things, you know, that, that really shouldn't be that difficult to get your head around. But it seems like it, it's not that easy. <laughs> hey, Ben, um, just talking about communi- good communication between the team, you're working remotely and your team's all around the globe. Like what um, software do you use? Like what uh, methods do you have in place to make sure you can collaborate online easily? So chatting via type and everything like that, Slack is, is a common one and most studios, you know, will have Slack as a method of communication. Um, you can do your voice chats and all that through that as well. I mean, we've used so many different ones over the time, um, you know, like sometimes you'll be on Microsoft Teams, just platforms like that. It's nothing special, just the run-of-the-mill sort of applications that a lot of people would be familiar with. Um, you know, even for personal stuff with, um, you know, just communications between Justin and myself, um, you know, it'd still be like Skype and things like that. It's, there's, there's a few things, but, uh, yeah, just your, your normal setups that have messaging and video calls and you know, ability to track schedules and things like that. Some of that stuff can get a bit more in-depth when you're talking about production, scheduling and all that sort of stuff. Sometimes if you're on big, big jobs, you'll be using, I don't know if you're familiar with a, pro, a program called Shotgun. It's like a, a program that's used for tracking like feature film work, shots, like it's very in-depth. Yeah, we don't have to utilise that very often, which is good. We like to keep things simple and streamlined uh, as much as possible anyway and not have all that overhead of just too much going on. Yeah, I like how simple that is. Well, we might we might uh, wrap this up and say thank you so much for spending this uh, this conversation time with us. It's been super valuable and uh, really insightful. Uh, I would say one of our most insightful uh, industry chats we've had uh, to date. So, thank you so much. Um, Ben, if people want to check out a little bit more about you, we'll have some links on our Emporium Creative Hub page uh, for the podcast, but where could they go to follow what you're doing uh, personally? So probably the most active place right now is probably my Instagram, which is just Ben Watts Design. Um, It's where I post a lot of my little tests and R&D and just things that I'm playing with at the time. You know, I, I do post on LinkedIn as well because that's a, that's a really great resource for um, just industry communication. No, that's really cool. I, I am uh, hoping that our chat has inspired some, some country creatives to dive a bit deeper into this field if they had their eyes set on it and, and just uh, shown them that it's possible and that 
it's super achievable and that there's some heaps of really good opportunities out there. So thanks again. Uh, I can't wait to see what uh, the rebrand looks like and, and follow your journey onwards from here. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you do follow any of the channels, keep an eye out because over yeah, the coming months, like we're planning something fairly elaborate. We're looking to do a like basically a, another short film um, to encompass the rebrand and all that sort of stuff, which is really exciting. I, I, I'm really looking forward to it. Just a, It's a massive outlet for, for me to unleash from the client work and just go crazy and really like pull out stops with the effects and everything like that. So <laughs> just make it happen, Ben. I know exactly the situation you're in. Uh, working on your own stuff can, can often take months, if not years. So get it done, man. I look forward to seeing it. joining us for country creatives podcast today we really hope you enjoyed that amazing chat with ben watts if you want to find out more about ben or listen to any of our other episodes please do visit us at emporiumcreativehub.com.au look for podcast and you'll find all of the past episodes and show links there it's also the place that if you want to get in touch with Caleb and Reese and maybe suggest a guest for the show, if you've got comments or feedback, please let them know what you've got to say right there, emporiumcreativehub.com.au. And we look forward to bringing the best country creatives to your ears really soon. Calling all creative trailblazers to join us at Conflux Bendigo. Across two full days on Friday the 9th and Saturday the 10th of September, Conflux Bendigo will bring together the most innovative, creative minds to explore a brave new world of ideas, talks, workshops, performances and more. Early bird tickets are on sale now through emporiumcreativehub.com.au. Conflux Bendigo.